Welcome to the Behavioral Groups Podcast. My name is Tim Houlihan. And I'm Kurt Nelson. We interview interesting people in order to unlock insights into behavioral science and how we can apply that to work and life. This week, we got to talk with Todd Fonseca, an executive coach at Medtronic, a company that makes medical devices around the world. Todd is a certified body language trainer. And Tim, he's the founder of the Anti-Networking Networking Meetup Group, which... I don't really understand, but I sounds really fascinating. Clearly, he's a practitioner who is a behavioral geek. <laughs> so we began the conversation with Todd with a speed round and had a fun and really informative discussion on learning how to ride a unicycle or how he learned how to ride a unicycle. And I think the insights are really what not to do. Yeah, that's definitely the case. Yeah. The conversation then veered into Todd's work at Medtronic and his work around executive presence and coaching people on what executive presence is and how they can get it. And then we went back, much to your chagrin, uh, to talk about the placebo effect. True, true. Uh, Todd introduced a term that really struck me positively uh, called situational awareness. Uh, This idea of meeting people where they are, which is such a wonderful platform for life. And then we talked about the micro expressions relating to Paul Ekman's research on the seven universal expressions uh, that reveal how we're feeling. Right. Yeah. Those, Those expressions around happiness, sadness, anger, disgust, contempt, fear, and surprise. And I thought those were really insightful conversations and and, and very informative. So uh, with that, uh, we hope that you enjoy this Behavior Groove session and uh, listen up to Todd Fonseca. Todd Fonseca. Welcome. Thank you for joining us at the Behavioral Groove Studios. Thank you, sir. Good to be here. Beautiful uh, studios with the stained glass window and everything here. Brand new floors. It's pretty luxurious. <laughs> it is indeed, right? Uh, yes, my dining room table. All right. Should we, uh, should we start with a speed round? Yeah, let's start with a speed round. Speed Monet round. or Michelangelo? Uh, ooh, Michelangelo. Why? Oh, I shouldn't. I not ask why. That doesn't feel like a speed round if we're asking why. <laughs> Bicycle or unicycle? Oh man. Okay, so I'm going to go inverse on on the unicycle. I would normally pick bicycle because for years this I is the tried speed to do. Round. Wait, wait, I know. Wait. Okay, you, this is the speed round. You just interrupted him. All right, go ahead. So. Yeah. Okay, unicycle. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Loss aversion or social proof as a bigger motivator? Loss aversion. All right. Okay. Good. Good start. All right. All right. So explain bicycle versus unicycle here. So when I was a kid, oh, man, this is this is such an interesting podcast. Uh, all right. So when I was a kid, right, you're learning how to ride a bike, right? Most people learn by having a parent or somebody ride, you know, next to, or hold on next to them or run down the street and whatever. Um, that was not the case for me, right? So I lived across the street from a park, and there was tennis courts, and the, they were elevated, like about five feet up, so there was kind of a, a nice mound and so on that you could take the bike to the top and then kind of roll down the hill, and that's where you got your momentum. So that's how I learned to ride a bike, right? I'd take my bike, I'd climb up, and then a little hill, and boom, there you go. Years later, my parents buy me this unicycle, and I'm thinking, no all right. Way. You clearly, this is how I learned how to ride a bike. I'm going to do the exact same process for the unicycle. And let me tell you, 
that doesn't work, right? <laughs> so I, I, there's got to be, if there had been cell phones back in the day, people would have multiple videos posted on YouTube of this idiot kid trying to go to the top of a mountain and, and get momentum to, to ride a unicycle. So uh, yeah, that's thank you for news. bringing that memory that memory as, as the father of a son who uh, write, who learned how to ride a unicycle at a very early age. Uh, really? Yeah. Now, what is the right way? Because there was no YouTube at the time for me to go find out how am I supposed to do this. So how, how do you Flat learn? Flat surfaces. Better, better than... Much, much better. Yes. Flat surfaces. Okay. Yeah. With, with a rail that you can grab onto next to you or something yeah. to grab Yeah, see, on. that my, makes a lot of sense. My neighbor built a rail for his kid. Or, or dad. Help. Or dad just running alongside. Well, like, yeah. That, no. That's how Connor learned. Hmm. Well, I think we've now done the IQ test for me, so I appreciate, appreciate that. You know, IQ has been known to change throughout your life, so there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, let's hope then it's improved since then, because if it's gone down, I'm really in the basement. So, so let's let's talk about your 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 day gig, right? You've yeah, got a, yeah. You've got a a, a job at a, at a Medtronic, a, yeah, yeah. a multinational me, uh, medical device company, right, right. And you apply behavioral sciences. Yeah, exactly job. right. So, so uh, can, you know, can you tell us a little bit about that, Todd? Sure, right. So one of the things that, and uh, so I've been at the company a number of years, and, and one of the areas that I have been in is clinical research, right? So uh, in clinical research, you know, a lot of what we do in order to prove therapies and so on and so forth have to do with managing controls, right? So you get some kind of test that you test, and you get some kind of control to compare against. Um, and one of the things that you have to do in these trials, in many cases, if you can, uh, do some type of placebo-controlled trial because there is such a huge impact and effect that uh, the brain can have. In fact, the more invasive that uh, some kind of therapy might be, potentially the more uh, impactful the placebo effect is because you go in with this high expectation. Wow, I'm going under surgery or I'm having this really big thing happen. It, it has to work. Uh, so, you know, the, that area has really fascinated me. And then because of sort of the strangeness and inner workings of the mind, and then when you come to find that there, yeah, there are actually some rules is a strong word when you take a look at behavioral science that one can follow, how do you take and put all these things together when you're, for example, developing an organization, developing leaders, developing managers, so that we can collectively move an organization forward, both inside the four walls, and then how do we use that information sort of outside? So a lot of the work that I do is around helping to develop leaders and things of that nature. So I'm curious about the placebo effect, okay. but um, but I think that might be boring. So I'm going to steer away from placebo. And just uh, can you spend just another minute telling us a little bit about how you're using behavioral sciences with leadership development? Yeah, great question. So a lot of, um, and this covers not just behavioral sciences, good, uh, but it may also be things like social science and, and things of that nature, where if you take a look at, right, we have certain representations that create biases for how people show up, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, if you, some leaders, and, and we like, you know, many companies that I've been at, right, you know, you're, you're evaluating folks and, and how they can move in the organization. And uh, and I can recall at uh, other company that I've been at, right, that there were some individuals that for whatever reason, people said didn't have a certain presence, right? And the phrase that comes up frequently is executive presence. Um, but, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? When, when people yeah. say that, right, there are books been written on charisma and, and what have you. And what you find when you look at, you know, the different sciences, including behavioral sciences, there are certain things that we look at and say, hmm, that seems more representative of somebody who has confidence or that has more representative of somebody who has, demonstrates a certain skill that then people associate with leadership. 
So a lot of what I do then is say, okay, well, what are those things? How do we use behavioral science to first understand it? And then how can we teach people to both see it, but then leverage some of those things for themselves as to how they show up? A presentation might be a great example, right? So if you're doing a presentation to your board or to your team or to whatever else, how can you use those skills then in order to make yourself as effective as possible in those situations? And so with that, when you're talking about executive presence, what... So when people are saying that, what did they mean? What did you find out from yeah. that perspective? Well, great question. In this particular case, as we had the dialogue and I was really pushing people, well, what is this person either demonstrating or not demonstrating? They couldn't really articulate anything, right? right? It was more of a, well, I, I just know it when I see it kind of feeling and really, really pushed to the edge. They were starting to use things like what the person was wearing didn't seem to, to show them the kind of things that they would expect out of a leader. Uh, but then even if you came back to them and said, well, if I change their clothing, right, or they have a certain kind of shirt or they wear a tie every day, uh, would that solve the problem? No, that, that's that's not it, right? You know, And so it comes to questions of how are people projecting themselves with respect to maybe confidence or whatever else it might be. What's important in all of this too, although when I work with leaders is – you know, it's not trying to fit a cookie cutter mold, right? Because this isn't, okay, you have to be exactly this way. Come to work, wear a tie, wear the, a suit, you know, present yourself in this fashion. It's more of a spectrum. So a lot of the things that I talk about with people, especially a lot of the work that I do is on nonverbal communication, right? right. And, and making sure that you understand the different elements that convey messages beyond your words. And then what's associated with what I guess I call nonverbal spectrum, right? So we can use, for example, hand gestures as an example. And what as you're I, doing right no, no, now no, no, as, as, he's... as I'm sitting here, uh, for those of you watching the video, which doesn't <laughs> exist, right? Uh, I'm using the hands, uh, you know, generously as I'm speaking. And even as I'm explaining it, I continue to do that. But there's a spectrum here, right? Where you could be somebody who's very stiff, right? Who might have their uh, arms crossed as they're talking uh, and be sort of turtled in, if you will, uh, versus then there's the other end of the spectrum where you have people who have what we would call jazz hands, right? The hands are way up high overhead, right? The arms are moving and flapping on all over the place. Uh, and so there's a spectrum, right? Is there a right? Is there a wrong? Well, it depends on who you are and your authenticity that you want to bring to the table. Um, you might be at a place where you're feeling, you know, hey, maybe I'm not as um, articulate as I would like to be, so I'd like to move a little bit more up the scale. Okay. Um, but maybe you don't want to go into crazy land, right, where you totally jazz hands and the arms are up. Or maybe that's where you normally are, and, and you want to dial it down a little bit. And when I talk to people about this, they feel like, ah, I feel like I'm being, you know, a different person. Uh, and my challenge back to everybody is, you're a different person depending on the audience you're with. If you yes. go to talk to kids in a classroom and you're saying, hey, you know, fourth graders, you know, here's what I do at work. Um, you're not going to talk the same way as when you've talked to the CEO, right? Both of them are you, right? You're just dialing back how you're interacting depending on your audience. So you have that skill set. Now it's just a question of depending on the context, depending on the audience, how can you maximize the different parts of who you are with that context? So situationally, absolutely, uh, being aware of how you're projecting yourself and your your now I'm now I'm using yeah, for that. Kurt just can't help himself. Yes, so and I'm, your mirror am, neurons are working. There, my mirror. There we go. Great gestures, Kurt. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to go back to a boring conversation Ooh, about yay. placebos. Oh, yeah, and I'm at looking at Tim. Tim is now grimacing. As he just mentioned how boring yay. placebo talk would be. But I, totally I think it would be it. actually fascinating okay. to talk a little okay. bit about placebo. So in, in your work with placebo yeah. and, and the placebo effect, uh, did you find out anything about – because I think a lot of people think placebo is like this – 
people are trying to think about being better, right? And, sure. and that it's this almost fake component. Right, right. Um, the, the research that I've seen on placebo and, and even just on how the mind interprets things uh, is very different. That actually, because you are taking that pill or because you have been told something about things, your brain actually processes things differently. Right, right. Um, and I go back to uh, the wine research that they've done on different You're wines. You're talking about the alcohol or the complaining? Uh, the, <laughs> good question. Okay. No, it's on the alcohol, oh, right. on the wine. And they did mm-hmm. a, uh, there's been research studies, and I'm, I, I'm not aware of who actually did this, uh, but they did research studies. They put people into an fMRI mm. you know, scan. Yep. Sure, sure. Uh, and they had these wines out there, and the wines were basically, uh, they told them one was really expensive mm, and one yeah. was not so expensive, and they had them drink the wines, and they, they measured their brain their activity right, on that. Right. Uh, and the actual activity changed when, in reality, the wine right. was exactly the same, right? Yeah. So, again, the wine yeah. was exactly the same. But their interpretation of the wine changed just because they were told right. that it was expensive. Right. And, I'm, and I'm assuming that's the same principle. Well, I think your comment around expectation is a good one. And what you're, I mean, what's, what's good to realize about the MRI and everything else that has been done when people are in, quote, placebo trials is there's actually a physiologic response that happens, okay. right? You know, there are chemical changes that happen in the body. It's not just, well, I've sort of convinced myself. You've not only convinced yourself sort of, you know, psychologically, you've convinced yourself physically, right? Things change as a result, right? Yes. You have higher levels of, you know, whatever it is that's being studied at the time, maybe uh, to manage pain or, or whatever else it might be. So it's a real phenomenon that happens. And what's also interesting, even when you tell people this is a placebo, there's still an effect for some trials, right? That I know, <laughs> oh, well, this, this pill is a placebo. That I didn't know it. But the fact that I'm taking a pill and every day I'm, I'm you know, there, there's an effect there as well. So uh, it's, it's fascinating, right? Which is why you have to be very careful and make sure that you do these kinds of trials to say, no, this is a real effect versus... Versus um, placebo. Exactly. To that degree, though, if there's an increase and it is a positive increase, you know, this is one of the interesting... You know, I think dilemmas that I have with some of the FDA components, right? If it's a placebo effect or not a placebo effect, should does that really matter um, if, if people are getting better? Well, you know, I think this is where the FDA allows physicians to practice medicine, right? Where yes. they can prescribe placebos with their patients and they don't get involved with the practice. They're getting involved with, hey, is this, you know, whatever they're How are you marketing at, is this? Safe? Is it effective that your claims yeah. are appropriate? All things of that nature. Well, wait, so. did you just say that physicians have the ability to prescribe pl- placebos? Sure. So I, I could I could have gone to... No, I'm not a medical doctor, so I... <laughs> <laughs> but no, but I, this is... I, I wasn't aware of this, that I, I could have, uh, you know, a recent visit to the doctor... And the doctor says, here, take this. And uh, I go and fulfill the prescription. And I come home, and I'm taking it, and I feel better. And it might have just been sugar pills. I doubt that that's been the case, right? So usually it's, um, well, I don't know what usually, I mean, it used, uh, but used it to be the case it, it where, could have been? you know, kids with, you know, bedwetting was a, a popular way that they would use the placebo. So I mean, the parents know oh, and everybody else. So, okay. I mean, there's a consent issue that happens here where I, mean, I hope you're a physician, especially if you're not paying for, or you're paying for some prescription that's, you know, $500 or something of that nature. That would be- It was a little fishy very, that it was $1,000 a Very unsatisfying if, no. in fact, it was placebo. <laughs> Oh, well, fascinating. So tell us a little bit more about this work around uh, 
presence and that scale of right. of different pieces. I know you've done a lot of work in that, and yeah. help us help us understand that. Yeah. Sure, yeah, because because yeah. I want to I want to get back to uh, within this. If you're judging people on what is and what isn't executive presence, to some degree, what becomes uh, what becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy? Mm-hmm. What becomes an adherence to some uniformity, even though the way you're expressing it, Todd, is you're trying to manage the diversity and allowing people to be themselves, and yet to some degree, there's still this standard. Great right? question. Well, so I think that there's not a standard as much as there is the standard for the people who are in the room, right? So if you're working for a company like Microsoft, perhaps there's a different standard of what that looks like than if you're working at somebody at Apple or Amazon or wherever the case might be. So one of the things, and, and, and you know, I do a meetup that is, is called anti-networking, and one of the things that we talk about as a part of that um, anti-networking, anti-networking. so so a meetup yes. is a networking event that you're, no one talks to each other. Yeah, and, right, right. We'll, got it. We'll, we'll and, go back to that. No one comes. Yeah, right, right. So <laughs> success. Um, but one of the things that we do there, and the importance is understanding um, the energy, for example, level of whoever you're going to talk with or the group that you're going to try and talk to, right? So an example would be if you're in a bar and there's a group of people over in the corner and they're all chatting and the energy level is that, you know, let's just say, okay, it's it's not super fast. And if you go in and you come in at a very different place from where they are, then that's going to be hard to interact with that group, right? You kind of need to meet people where they are essentially. Mm -hmm. So one of the keys, I think, in any presentation, any room, and, and this could change in the day in the same meeting, depending on how things have evolved. Um, that you need to kind of say, hey, what's the energy vibe in the room? What's happening here? And be aware, right? Especially, and it's usually the leader in the room that dictates what that is. In fact, there's research to show even the vocal cadence, uh, the speed. It's like watching a movie, right? They, they've taken and done research where they have people who all watch a movie, and after a while, their, their brain waves start to sync up both with the movie and each other. The same things happen in meetings, right? Where whoever the leader is, you know, all of our mirror neurons, you know, notwithstanding the joke I made earlier about Kurt, here's my gestures are getting larger again. Um, <laughs> That happens, right? So as a presenter, you need to be keenly aware of what's that vibe in the room, right? If you go in with a, this is exactly how I'm going to be and how I'm going to treat it regardless of the situation, it's going to be very hard time to be congruent with whatever the vibe in the room is. So, you know, sometimes that executive presence is, hey, what's happening right now in this room? And I can think of situations that I've been in, especially if you're in a long meeting where different presenters are, are, are presenting and you're following, you're sort of like following a, a bad comic, right? And, the, and right. the room is really against you. You're going to be a lot different on how you then approach that than if the room's already warmed up and ready to go. So it's, it's back to your comment I think you made before around situational awareness. So while I, while I think there are probably some overarching things that could be, you know, quote, executive presence, more important is really understanding the situation in, in the room. But I've been in, in enough meetings where you have a presenter large meetings, right? You have a presenter coming in and they are either way more animated than the rest of the, than the crowd is, or actually way less animated than the crowd. And so I can, I, I, I I never put those two pieces together before. Well, and how did that felt when that happened? Was, was, did it work? It, 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 no, it, it, it didn't. There's this actual component, particularly when people come in and you're, they're, they're super, 
pump, you know, because they're right. coming in. I am the motivational speaker, and I need to get right. you going. And so, uh, although I have seen some, but that happens though. Sometimes. Yeah. So I want to where, talk about that. Yeah. Where 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 they get people to come to them. Yes. And I have seen others that don't. So is there, yeah. what's the difference? So a couple of things, because you're exactly right, because I it is possible and it takes a very strong character to be able to move an entire room from a very different level of energy. But it does happen. And I'll give you an example. And this is where I think uh, this particular speaker did a very good job, right? So there was an event that I was in. I think it was in Colorado. We had a room full of folks, right? And there's different tables, eight or 10 people sitting around the table. And there's a good... I don't know, 15 feet between where the tables end at the front of the room and where the stage is. Yes. And so the presenter who comes up to the stage is on the stage and is now 20 feet away from everybody. And in this case was sort of the motivational speaker type. And she is doing her thing, right? She's got the speech going and the slides are up and so on and so forth. And we are not feeling it, right? Yeah. And it's clear in the room that we are not feeling it. And I could see the moment when she realizes they are not feeling it, right? So what does she do? So, so she was aware. This is, yes. this is a key part of it, right? Right, exactly, right? So this is the situational awareness. Hey, my mm -hmm. regular shtick isn't working. What does she do? She takes the microphone, comes off the stage, comes right into it with everybody, yes. right? Comes to the table, starts interacting with people, starts asking questions, getting people involved, right? That suddenly then changes the energy. And one of the things I tell people when it comes to presenting is you want people to own whatever it is that you're selling or pitching. And how do you best do that, right? So there's some research. And if you ever watch Shark Tank, right? You know, there's oh, yeah. been some research done on Shark Tank of what works and what doesn't, regardless of what the pitch might be. And, and, and I can't remember the research was done, but years ago, right, when you'd go into a store like a Woolworth or whatever else, everything was behind the counter, right? So right. if you wanted to go buy stuff, you said, hey, I'm interested in such and such. Somebody would have to go and they get it and they bring it back to you. Well, I, and I think it was Woolworth. I can't recall. You know, your listeners can come back and correct me. Uh, they're the ones who brought stuff out, right? So suddenly people are able to touch things, right? And once you touch something, you immediately feel ownership for this. Hey, the endowment this, that's right. This yeah, is mine. I've got it now. And if it's heavy, you think it's better. If it's warm, it's even. And if it's soft and fuzzy, that's why puppies are like this amazing thing, oh, right? Yes. They're the trifecta of ownership, <laughs> right? So same thing in any presentation. I'm like, always have some kind of handout that you can give people that gives them interest, but also not distract and you can figure out when, but it's usually at the beginning. And look what Shark Tank does, right? They come and they're like, hey, here you go. And sometimes they personalize it and, and give it to folks. So immediately sort of this feeling of, of ownership starts to happen. So there are different things that you can do that are legit and just a part of what your presentation is to get people physically involved because that's the other thing as soon as people especially if the meetings have gone all day long one of the things that can help to bring the energy up is to have them do something right give them something to look at give them something to pass whatever it might be even asking a question like how many people in the room show of hands right have done blah 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 they're moving their hands around especially if you move your hands up and over your head that actually is sort of a biofeedback then that happens. This is, hey, right? I've got more energy. Well, oh. One of our buddies from St. Louis loves that one. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. She's, she's big on... Uh, Raise your hands. Raise it higher. Yeah. 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 You don't yeah. want crazy on some of this. I no. mean, the whole point is, right, if you've got a checklist of things to do to have executive presence, you're missing the point, right? It's getting a tool set in place and then understanding the situation to say, okay, in this case, I need to do this. In this case, maybe I need to do that, right? So. Yeah. 
another thing, especially with presentations that, that people do, invariably they'll always say, yeah, but so-and-so on the back of the room just looks so disinterested in there. All the focus becomes on the one or two people who are either watching their phone, sleeping, or, or whatever else. And my point is you are not there for that person unless it's the boss, which you got some other issues, but more often than not, there's a room full of people 90% are probably into whatever you're saying. That's who you're there for, right? You know, we'll, let's work with those guys. And I so much appreciate that both you guys are both giving me the nonverbal feedback of nodding as I talk. So. I was yeah. <laughs> I was thinking exactly that, though, as we were talking, because I've, I've done a number of presentations. And, and when I'm in the audience, I do make a concerted, uh, you know, effort to shake my Give head up feedback. and down as, right. and, unless they're horrible. If they're horrible, then, I, then I'm... Oh, they're they're, they're, they're so doing that. You're, you're uh, doing but, that. However, <laughs> if they're... You're still if, judgmental. If they're, if they're yeah. decent, you know, if they're just plain decent, oh, well, the bar is I'm going to be given that up and down because I know when I present that I, yeah. I'm looking for that and, and when I right. get that, even if it's one, then I you can yeah. get that energy right. up right. and you do. So I... I you need I, more time playing in bars yeah. because <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you play acoustic music right. in a bar, where there are people drinking, nobody cares nobody, about you. Yeah. And you just have to have There's to just... that one person. <laughs> Almost look for that one, Tim. Look I'll for the one. Believe you me, I look for them. I do. Right. I search high and low. Uh, but that's a great point about practice, right? Because when you put yourself in a situation like that, you're not getting any feedback. How do you still bring your best? And it's interesting, I don't know if you guys have, uh, you know, if you're shooting videos for an audience or whatever else, where now the only feedback you have is a camera, right? right. Um, that is a very different experience. I know when I went from, you know, presenting on stage and doing things like that, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm getting feedback. If it's not working, you switch it up. Then you look for people who are nodding. Even practicing in the mirror where you see yourself, you're like, wow, yes, that's good, right? <laughs> you're getting all this feedback from yourself. And yes. then when you just have a camera, you know, like there's nothing there. But once you practice, practice it, you can do the same thing where you're like, okay, regardless of the, this might just be a room and they're in a mood, I'm going to do, I'm going to do my thing. Now, again, you probably want to match a little bit of where the energy is, right. but if it's negative, you want it to be positive. So you want to slowly, you got two choices. You need to try to amp it up and just own it the whole time and see how it works out. Or you can move from a place where you slowly build it up. And that's what this presenter did in Colorado. Okay. That I think was really, by the end, people are like, yeah, right. we're standing. It's like a Tony Robbins event. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so Todd, I know we've talked before. Before, and you've talked about micro expressions, and I, I, I want to get into that because I think it's just a fascinating component. And so, tell us a little bit about what micro expressions are and how right. they impact uh, us. Yeah, great question. So, um, for those of you who don't know, right, this is this is take two for us on this particular podcast. And I, I told my wife, I said, you know, this might be one of those situations where the universe is saying. Maybe you needed to take take two on this one. In fact, I think there was this old Seinfeld episode. You guys ever watch Seinfeld? Oh, yes. Yeah, right, where George, I don't know, he's like eating all these shrimp at a meeting, and somebody says, hey, George, the ocean called. They're running out of shrimp. And he doesn't have the comeback, right? So the whole rest of the episode is, I've got to have the, I need a second chance kind of thing. Uh, but as we know, things didn't really work out for the second chance either. So I'm thinking, hey, second chance. And then, hmm, don't Costanza this, yes, right? Yes, don't Costanza this. Uh, well, anyway, I'm now on that real rabbit hole that had nothing to with microexpressions. <laughs> We're all to, about the rabbit yeah, holes. So. <laughs> right. So microexpressions, yeah. So uh, Paul Ekman, right? In fact, uh, for those who've ever saw the, the show Lie to Me, I can't remember what network it was on, probably Fox, um, you know, sort of built around this whole idea of, gosh, can you 
understand what's happening or what people may be feeling through microexpressions, right? right? And so Ekman did, you know, just all this fascinating research where he traveled the world, you know, Papua New Guinea, you name it, where he was trying to understand, gee, are, are these things nature or nurture, right? right? You know, are you born with it or, or what have you? Uh, in fact, went to such a point where I think they, they codified like thousands of different, you know, types of facial movements and, and so on. And even along that process, as him and his partner were writing this tome of, of this information, they would make the different expressions. And uh, I think they were working in either sadness or, or one of the more negative emotions. And over time, they both felt like, gosh, you know, I just, I just feel really down. And which created sort of this hypothesis, which is facial uh, feedback hypothesis of, right. gee, when you make the expression, you know, you actually start to feel it. And then they did subsequent research, kind of like your wine test, where they were testing, you know, the heart rates and, you know, are, are people sweating? And sure enough, just by making an expression, you got a physiologic response that went along with that. But through all that work, even though there were sort of thousands of expressions, there were seven sort of universal uh, micro expressions, which in, in this case, micro expressions really mean those unconscious happen in less than a second reaction to whatever it is that a person's, you know, sort of feeling in, in the moment. Right. Uh, and, and it came up with, at least at this point in time, you believe seven that are regardless of, you know, gender, race, background, so on and so forth, are, are in fact universal. Well, and do tell. <laughs> yes. What are the seven? We, we, Don't we can't, leave us hanging. You can't. Just what can start. they possibly be? What could? Um, they be? Yeah. So we'll start with uh, we'll start with a good one, right? So happiness, right? So there's happiness. a, a micro expression around happiness. Uh, that you know has a lot to do. I mean, people might think there would be a smile related to that, which of course it can be. Uh, but it's really you know what you see, and apparently it's very hard to fake happiness. Although I suppose if you practice anything that you can, but there are certain muscles right in the face, along the cheeks, and so on and so forth that create sort of the crow's nest around the eyes. So a lot of times you can see if somebody's happy or not just if you see pictures of their eyes. Right, so you blank everything out around the face, you can kind of tell uh, from that. You know, is it real or not? And I, I always give the example of uh, LinkedIn profiles or. Yeah. Yeah. things of that nature where you see the the great you know beautiful pasted on smile but you know that is not a real smile that you can not spot a real yeah, smile right? away and, and yes. then you can tell the other ones that you know are more genuine and it's usually around the eyes or where the keys to the micro expression are although there is just taking a side loop here on the whole happiness gig and and smiling um you know people can tell clearly the difference between a real and a fake smile um but if you ask if you have, again, kind of get back to this control thing, no smile, fake smile, or real smile, people actually would prefer the fake smile over the no, no smile, smile, right? So I guess this is a message for those who are like, well, if you're not really happy, don't fake it. You probably should. Even though people know it's fake, they appreciate it more than just sort of the blank, neutral stare. Uh, but at some point in time, right, you probably find your way into to the real smile. Well, I think there's, there's some social context in that, right? You're going into a party right. and, you know, that, that social norm is you're happy, but man, my, my spouse drug me out to this and I am not happy to be here. And if you don't at least fake it, you know, it, it is that, right. you know, you, right. you, you bring the negative vibe into the entire thing. Faking it, you go, all right. Yeah, uh, a, yeah, it helps. And I know that was a completely imaginary example that you just gave because that's, that's never happened. It is exactly the... Was it just last night? Yeah. Is this, is this I mean, in, in the world of relevance and relativity, is this like yeah, within the last 24 no, hours? I, I, I plead the fifth. I plead right. the fifth. I'll save you, Kurt. So... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we'll go with uh, sadness, right? So sadness we'll go out the other end two. of the spectrum, right? And for anybody who has kids or babysat or whatever else, you can see it you know, pretty quickly, right? And um, 
the guy who plays Leonard on, on the uh, Big Bang Theory gives yes. a good example of what happens with the eyebrows, right? So they kind of go up in the middle and the outsides go down. Ooh, Tim's really good I'm at just, it. I'm trying. Yeah, that's pretty good. And along with that, usually the lower lip might camp, uh, come out. Uh, so again, it can be a little bit difficult to to do, but I, usually when I teach micro expressions, I have you know we show pictures of this, and then we have people try to mirror or, or give an example of themselves. Hey, try to contort your face into this particular feeling. And sadness is an easy one for people to try, and it's also one that people feel right away, especially if you throw that lower lip out, and if you add the lip quiver. Oh man, that's in. Like, yeah. do people break down in tears? Um, you right can see people change pretty fast, and we go, okay, now we got to break state because it's supposed to be a fun event. But, yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, try it at home. It, it's uh, it's weird, right, where you really feel the energy level start to go down. In fact, I just made the face, and you can probably hear in my voice, Bruce, I'm so a bit upset. <laughs> yeah, this podcast. Uh, All right, let's move on to a better one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just funny you say that because anger just came to mind. So we'll skip anger. <laughs> well, now that I've said it, we'll just do it. Let's right. Do it. So yeah, so anger, right? So in, in this case, right? And and you can think about the fact that usually the eyes narrow a little bit, right? The, the eyebrows then become a little bit more horizontal in nature. Um, and occasionally there's a chin jut also sort of associated with that, right? So if you're thinking about two guys about to square it off in, in a bar or something like that, you'll see sort of anger come up. So you see a lot with the eyebrows. You see the eyes sort of narrow. Tim's trying to practice this now. And, right. and usually the lips may be a little bit um, a little bit drawn together. Ooh, that's really good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, th those are some of the I'm things that you'd see. He's but these just, he's just thinking about me. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> but it happens Curtis fast. doing that again. Yeah. <laughs> But, but it happens fast, right? So if you see somebody holding, you know, a, 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 that kind of, you know, face, then that's not a micro expression, right? So they're they're very fleeting, right? So they're little windows into, ooh, what just happened here? And we talked before about they're, they're sort of bookmarks in a conversation. Right. Uh, and I'll tell people, ooh, when you see that, what? That's anger. What are you thinking right now? Um you know, keep it as a bookmark. Gee, what did I say when when Kurt got really angry right there? Or at least that's what it looked like. I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and ask more about that uh, because it's not mind reading, right? That, you, but but that's a key part of yeah. it. It's it, it's it's being aware right. and sort of storing that as, right. as as a little bookmark and say, okay, I just noticed that. What was the connection? Right. And was there some context in which that micro expression happened? Right, right. Right. I think that that's a that's a key insight there. Yeah, and one of the well, I'll do the next one. I'll give a, a story about it then too. So uh, disgust, right? So okay. disgust is if you if you think about um, a, a facial expression you would make when something smells really bad, right? You know, you kind of crinkle your nose up, right? And you you probably even show the upper parts of your teeth because your whole lips are drawn up and everything else with an exceptional disgust face, yeah, <laughs> right? And he's he's got it down. Um, <laughs> you know, then that's that's the disgust micro expression. It's actually the one that I don't know if I'm wired for it or the people around me just throw it a lot, but I see I feel like I see that expression. <laughs> I see that expression quite often. I don't think it's any testament about you. Yeah. Oh, no. thank you. He showed no. the supportive micro expression, which doesn't <laughs> exist. But I'm gonna I'm gonna say that that is the next one. Yeah. That will. Oh, the head yeah. tilt's always a good. It's not a it's not a uh, micro expression, but head tilt's one of those empathy ones. Like, no, no, oh. you're you're fine. Yeah. Um, but the the story I'll tell, and in this, I think it's back to this whole mind reading question that we were just talking about, and, and how important context is is uh, that a friend of mine had come in and talked to me before the holiday over a year ago and was telling a story about her son coming to visit, and he lives in Africa, right? She doesn't get to see him very often. And when she 
had told me the story, I noticed that discussed microexpression uh, a couple of times, which was sort of interesting to me because she was also affectionately talking about the fact that her son was coming to visit. So like I said, you kind of bookmark these things, right? And you, you think of them later and, and, and other conversations sort of happened. And I came back to it, you know, three, four minutes later. I said, yeah, tell, tell me more about your, your son coming to visit. And actually she kind of got this quizzical look on her face, like, hmm, interesting, you know, why, why are you asking me this question? And as it turned out, he had been married and him and his wife just had her first grandchild and they were coming to visit with the whole family, right? She had never met the grandchild before and so on and so forth. And normally during their visits, they would spend up to a month, right? When they would come to visit. But in this case, they were only spending a week versus the month. So the disgust wasn't the visit. It was the length of the visit and she wished that he was coming longer. So that's why these things are... They can be dangerous, right? Because I think people who first learn this, and I also do some things on lie detection, right? What are the different things that are signals around lie detection? When people first learn these, then they're looking from, ooh, that's a lie. And in fact, your ability to detect deception goes from about chance, 50-50, to about 30%. You get worse because you think everybody's <laughs> lying, right? Uh, and, and it's obviously not, not the case. Well, so, according to Dan Ariely, just about everybody lies. So yeah, it's, pretty, is... it's pretty common. Right. So, so and, the, except, and, and you except get... Except in the behavioral groups podcast doesn't Nobody, happen right all no, truth this here. is a right. uh, <laughs> truth uh, only environment that's right at least mm-hmm. yeah no lying on purpose right <laughs> uh, but yeah so in her case right I mean one could assume right you see oh I saw disgust doesn't like her son and you make inappropriate conclusions uh, and and that's not at all what you want to do you really there are opportunities to seek more information right. and you know what I think it can also do, frankly, had I not known some of these, I, I a, wouldn't probably have caught it. So I may not have, I would just would have probably thought, oh, she's happy her son's coming. Um, but we wouldn't have had a more rich conversation, right? And I think then it creates a greater relationship. And, and if you're talking about leaders in an organization, back to where we were before, you know, this happens how you show up everywhere. I don't care if it's a presentation or whatever else, one-on-one conversations, your people, your boss, whatever else. Because uh, people join organizations, they say, right, and they, they leave managers or they leave bosses. So if you're really communicating, you're seeing these things and you're asking questions. It shows you are paying attention and that you care. And I think that uh, these are ways to then seek greater understanding by recognizing these various expressions. And, and so attention. What, oh, go ahead. Well, what's I'm, I'm anxious to hear about number five. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I, I have no uh, order that how I do these, so I'm glad that you're keeping count. Uh, let's go with uh, contempt, right? So contempt, uh, contempt is a micro expression that if, really what it is is a one-sided sort of smile, right? So almost a smirk, right, that you might see that happens very quickly, right? Uh, and this is, and I think Gladwell talked about it in the Blink or one of his books, right? The researcher that John, John Gottman had done on, on marriage and looking oh, at, yes. you know, oh, uh, couples yeah. over oh, time man. and, you know, is there a predictor of, of divorce and so on, you know, intelligence tests, da, da, da. And also recorded them, right? Video recordings of the different interactions. And, you know, what they saw, right, were these, you know, expressions of contempt seemed to show up very frequently in those that eventually became divorced. So, you know, understanding, and I think he talks about eye rolls there contempt microexpression would be another one in fact i think gottman and ekman have done work together uh in the space and yeah so contempt's a, a tough one right and happens pretty quickly and it's it's fairly powerful so that's one when you see you know you definitely want to 
watch out for. And again, thinking back to you know doing pitches or whatever else, if you see a reaction from somebody that's contempt versus fear versus anger or you know happiness, you're gonna you should react to that in a in a very different way. And so just knowing that should make your again your pitch or your conversation or whatever more powerful. Situationally aware, right? Yeah, being, situationally yeah. aware. Being aware of what is going on. All right. So, so two more, five, right? Fear, fear and more. surprise, right? I think are the last two. Okay. So I just mentioned fear. So fear is um, the situation where, well, you know, if you think you're watching a, a horror movie or whatever and, you know, something happens that you weren't expecting, right? You know, the jump scene or whatever. What happens in the jump scene? Usually people go, oh, right, exactly. Good. Nice work, Tim. You know, I, I must right, say, can, really. Kurt, aren't you playing no, along? No, Kurt, Kurt is I am not, not Yeah, Kurt is not. Kurt is, no, right. He is just watching, but yeah, right, with... <laughs> Dr. Sedate over yeah. here. But every time, man, you know, Tim is right. I'm going to practice this, right? And boom. So what if, for those paying attention, right, uh, what did what did Tim do, right? You heard the, well, yeah. what happens, right? So, ooh, right, things are even falling well, in there. This, this is a scary Wait, environment. That was the surprise. Yeah, right. That one right there. I don't know. So uh, you, you take in a bunch of air, right? So what happens? Your mouth opens, right? Oh, my gosh, right? And what happens around uh, the eyes is the eyes get big, right? So you, you see the eyes really widen. Um, and what is happening here is sort of your freeze, fight, or flight kind of thing, right? right? You know, I'm going to take a lot of oxygen in. I want to, you know, see as much as I can so I can have, you know, react to whatever the environment is. Um, but what's important to understand, too, with fear is usually with the eyebrows, what you see is they stay fairly horizontal, right? So the eyes are big, but the, you know, you almost get the scrunchy eyebrows where they're, they're staying very horizontal, as opposed to surprise, which looks very, very similar. In fact, mouth open, eyes big, same thing. But the eyebrows are different, right? So basically, they're upside down U's, right? <gasps> right? Well, I was... <laughs> I'm doing this so you guys can see it. <laughs> Hopefully all those on the podcast also saw that. Uh, but yeah, so instead of sort of the, the scrunchy horizontal eyebrows, you get these upside down U's. But they, again, important to know the difference because if you're having a pitch, right, where maybe you're asking for a raise, right, surprise is going to be different from fear or, or whatever else oh, yes. it might be. Or in your personal life, hey, I'm thinking we should have 10 kids. Surprise and fear, you know, are going to be important. Well, contempt's probably really important there too. Actually, the, or the disgust whole, or whole anger, range you know, you of micro expressions may be very telling. So, but all of these, again, they're not held. So these are right, right. these are very quick, right. almost imperceptible if you're mm -hmm. not. Noticing, you feel them, right? You respond to them at, at a subconscious level, but right. you're not necessarily consciously aware. And yeah, universal. Yeah. yeah, these seven, right? You know, according to Ekman and, and others, are are universal, right? There are obviously many more expressions that uh, that are out there, and you know, life is of course imperfect. Where um, if you see an expression, it may not look like one of those seven. And if you become in the other thing I see people do when they first learn this is they start to become very analytical. That looked like disgust plus fear plus this. <laughs> and, you know, really try to, uh, you know, put a very sort of a methodological approach to this as opposed to when, when I tell folks is, hey, if you see something that you don't get, um, Make the expression yourself, and then ask yourself, "How do how do I feel right now?" Oh, right? Yeah, because of the whole facial feedback hypothesis, you might say, "Oh, actually, I feel confusion." Oh, and then you see, "Oh, right." Like you can actually watch the light bulb go on. Yes, now that makes sense, right? Or or whatever, pensive, right? Or you know, how do, how is it you feel? So part of it's really understanding. Frankly, if you understand yourself and your own feelings, which is key, then it's much easier than as you're seeing these expressions from others to to help interpret yeah, things well, that may good not luck make sense. On, on Understanding our own feelings. Yeah, so. 
of what? I am turning this off now. That is hard enough. That is hard enough. Tell me a little bit more about the anti-networking meetup that you do. Right, I just right. find this interesting. So right. let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I've um, been talking about all this nonverbal stuff. Um, certified body language trainer. Ooh, doesn't that sound official? Through uh, an organization called the Science of People. It was a human behavior research lab out of the um, uh, Portland area. And uh, so one of the things that they had suggested to some of us trainers who are, are spread throughout the U.S. is, okay. hey, you know what? We should we should take some of the things that we have and, and bring them out to the community in ways different from, so I work with either individuals or corporations and things of that nature. And, um, you know, let, let's take some of these skills and just, you know, have meetups, right? And, right. and, and teach people some of these things and, and so on and so forth. Um, and people normally uh, aren't clamoring for, I want to go network. Some people love networking, but there's a large number of people that, you know, sort of disdain networking. It's kind of on that spectrum of public speaking. Ugh, if I don't have to do it, right? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather not. And what does some people say, right? There's greater fear than than death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Which means what? Right. It, what was it? Seinfeld or somebody said. So that means you'd rather be the person in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Um, so. <laughs> and for some people, yes. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, there's two Seinfeld episodes in one. Yeah. This is a good. Yeah, this like, is a good yeah, podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So with this anti-networking is, hey, you know, how can you take people who clearly think, you know what, this is probably something that I should get better at, but be in a safe environment in order to do that. Uh, and so I think just the name anti-networking is crazy, right? People come out of the woodwork to say, what is this all this about? I, I want to go to this thing and essentially network without, you know, networking. Right. And so a lot of things that, that we talk about are, are some of the skills that we, we talk about here today. Like when I started, hey, how do you come into a group and match the energy level and, and so on? Uh, but what we do at the anti-networking meeting, unlike networking meetings, is uh, this is not a transactional relationship, right? You're not coming in and, uh, hey, I'm a you know, chiropractor. Here's my business card. Oh, you you work in, in the machine shop. Great. You know, you're a contractor and so on. Um, that is not the intent, right, behind this. And really what it is is most good networking happens maybe not between the person I just met is, oh, I realized that Kurt, he's got this behavioral grooves thing. And, oh, you do this kind of work? And, I, and then I meet somebody two months later, and they've got an, and then I make connections, right, yes. that end up happening. So they're relationships built on trust, but relationships take a little bit of time, right? If it's transactional, it's like, well, you know, I just met Kurt Singh, give me his card. I don't, I don't know anything about that. So what we do is, and we usually about 25, 30% of the folks who come are repeat offenders. And then we've got another, you know, 70% or, or so that are that are new. Uh, and for the first third of what we do, um, when people come in, is they're not allowed to talk about work, right? Mm -hmm. or, or talk about school or, or whatever else it is that people would normally network around. And there's a forcing function for them to then, okay, well, what do I talk about, right? Yeah. This is like uh, the weather. No, we don't want to do that. And so I have a question along on their name badge, right? They write their name and they have to answer in one word, usually, or potentially a phrase, an answer to a question that's a little bit more probing. In fact, most people come in and go, ah, that's, that's a good question. And then you're forced to talk to people about that, right? right. And is it like, what's your favorite ice cream? It is not what's your favorite ice cream. Like, one example would Could be- Could it be though? I um, mean, just conceivably? Because <laughs> I would love so, to have that. Apparently, Tim will not come to the meetup unless I, there's ice cream think, either there or involved in questioning. I think it's a good. Uh, oh, it's always good to talk about ice cream. Well, and, and, and you talk and, about favorite ice creams, you've elevated the conversation. It's gone even higher. Well, this is like the donut conversation you guys had in one of your previous podcasts. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. yeah they, oh, is, is donut conversation. Donut? How could you ask favorite donut? There is no bad <laughs> donut. donut right? Exactly. Uh, it would be questions like, for example, I had.
said one that if you had a superpower for an hour, what would it be? Yeah. Right? So it wasn't like you change where you only get for an hour, right? And how would you choose? And it's interesting because you see people go through this process of, oh, I'd really like this. And then they go, mm, I don't think I want to share that particular one. And they, they kind of march their way through one that they feel would be comfortable sharing with a group of people that they haven't met before and, uh, and then have a conversation, right? So, and, and so you get to know people on a very different level, potentially, really quickly, that the conversation becomes a little bit deeper, a lot faster than what may be a superficial discussion. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. I've done some work on self-identity and, and how people, uh, you know, the, the self-scheme is that we have mm, in situ- yeah. situations. And, and one of the hard things about that is, is the identity that we hold within ourselves and yet the identity that we present outward right, to, right. you know, others. And, and when they're non-congruent, right. we can do, we either do a couple different things. We, we tend to either less likely to change our behavior right. to, to meet that more likely to rationalize away mm-hmm. why our behavior isn't necessarily matching up with our self-identity. But it's interesting because to that point, those questions to be able to understand what somebody else's, how they think about themselves, I right. think is one of those very clear and very powerful elements that you can have. For yeah. Them. And they take them really seriously. And you know what, so you know, I'll use a superpower one example, right? Um, I had uh, one woman who said, you know, I'd like to have a superpower where I could, and I don't even have to be the arbiter of this. I could immediately wipe out, right? I can't remember how she said it, like evil around the world, but it wasn't everything, like the really bad stuff, right? I mean, you can't get rid of everything, but, you know, like genocide and things of that nature. And she goes, I wouldn't even have to choose. So I'm not, it would just be, bam, it's done. And I don't know it. And it's all taken away. So you have people on that end of the spectrum. And you have people who are like, I am flying, dude. I am flying everywhere (laughs) I can. I am checking it out. You got teleporting people. You got invisibility person. Uh, I had one guy, of course, very clever. I would like to control time. So the hour is meaningless to me, right? (laughs) All right, fine. That's the genie wish for three wishes. Yeah, exactly right. Ask for three more wishes. Another wish, right? Three more wishes, yeah. But then, you know, the the conversation both is, you know, enlightening for for different people, and it gets pretty rich pretty fast, right? And then, so that's that's sort of our our first third, right? And then then we have kind of a workshop in the middle of this where we go through some type of skill, right, that people can learn. And, you know, and people... Great, you're learning these techniques to be more comfortable with other people and supposed to being transactional, but it's not like you go to a party and say, Hey, so if you had a superpower for an hour, you know, I, you know, so I, I've given them permission to have these kinds of conversations. But one of the activities we did during one of our workshops in the middle was, okay, now, how can you have a conversation like this without coming out with some kind of crazy question? And again, it gets back to the situational awareness that we had before. People are giving you clues all the time right. as to what's interesting and important to them. A lot of times people are thinking in their head, how do I want to convey myself? And how, what kind of presence do I want to have? Frankly, nobody cares. Right, they want to talk about themselves, right? So if you can, sorry, key- were, you, were you saying something? <laughs> exactly right. I thought this was about the Tim and Kurt show. Who is this Todd guy, right? Yeah. Uh, who is this guy? You're talking way no too idea. much. We're, we're the host here. Come on. Uh, but if you find clues for that, then you show again interest, right? And I, I gave an example, and, and we will bring people up, right? Hey, here's gentleman so and so. You guys have talked to him about a superpower, but if you just met him and you didn't know that, what would you ask? And, and we asked, well, in this case, he was wearing a sweater that talked about the volunteer fire department that he was in, okay? And then this other woman had uh, a very beautiful um, crystal necklace that, as it turns out, she made herself. Uh, I think we, we talked about before, tattoos are a big one. You know, any ornamentation that people have is important to them, right? 
And so if you're looking at those things, it does a couple of things. One is people are like, wow, this person's very observant and they, they actually care. And that's a huge launch, launching point, right? As you're hearing the answers to this, there's a whole richness that, oh, you made this yourself? Have you made jewelry before? You know, what? why the interest, right? Oh, you, you're into crystal healing. Tell me more about how you can, whatever, right? And suddenly this becomes a lot more than, you know, what do you do? Well, I work for so-and-so and such and such. And then in the last third, we let people talk about, okay, whatever your work is. Now, if you want to, you know, build a relationship there too, fine. Uh, and sometimes we do little quizzes of, okay, now that you've met this person, what do you think they do? Yeah. Right? Oh, Which becomes nice. super fun for people. Nice. I think you're right in marketing. And somebody says, no, I'm an accountant. What? We never guessed accounting. <laughs> because what happens in that last third is people start to pair off or get in groups. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Well, let's talk more about machine shop, right? And you don't talk to any of the other folks in the group, right? Oh. Because they've they've now found, oh, maybe we, we can create something. Self-selection. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you totally miss the richness of the potential relationships if you start there, right? So anyway, that's that's in general what we do. And uh, we, have, we have a good time. So, wanna, Tim. Yes, yes. Sure. you <laughs> could have a superpower for one hour. Oh man! What would it be? Oh, there you go. I'm a reflective thinker. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a superpower, Tim. No. no. Uh, well, the trouble is that I just got uh, polluted with all these all ideas, these great ideas, yeah, all these right, really great yeah. ideas, and uh, and I I, I want to play the virtuous card and go with something like end poverty. You know, and poverty. Yeah, you know, I, I think that that would be really cool. Yeah, that would, way to be selfless, right? So what I right. find when but, when this but, happens is people are like, oh man, like the flying people, are like, dang man, that sounds pretty selfish. I, <laughs> I, some people would go, they mark off their first answer. I'm like, no, it's okay, right? There's no judgment here, so it, it's okay. But then great I, that you're in poverty. I also have a you know a completely uh, narcissistic there one, which would be to write a number one hit song. Perfect. You know, that would yeah. be That'd you know be, that yeah. would be there a really cool go. superpower to have. Just just one, right? That just and let that be the gateway drug for more, right? You, know, you want to be now you got social proof, the, right? Because um, everybody's like, well, that number one hit. Although yeah. there are some one hit wonders, but that would not be you. Well, I, <laughs> I, and I wouldn't be performing. I'm just a songwriter, so I'd let, oh, there you let, go. let somebody else, you right, know, right. Uh, look. They can do in their thing. The yeah, 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 yeah. How about you, Kurt? What would be your superpower? So I would, I would have to be one of those. You know, time stopping kind of things ah, where I go. Okay. I don't. I can. I have like a revolving superpower over the course <laughs> of the keep, hour keep, and keep make this. So you know, for that, it's it's the uh, what is it? Wonder Twin powers activate kind of thing. Oh I my can, gosh! What a great reference! Do, right, form of yeah, an ice so hammer. I can, <laughs> You know, over the course of the hour, I can, you know, it's Morph. now I am invisible and now I'm curing cancer and then I'm flying. All right. 15 minutes at a time. So there you go. And how okay. about you, Todd? Uh, so, yeah, mine, I can't remember how I wrote this down on the, well, well, on the badge. Well, right now. Yeah. Well, uh, it, you may Live or may not moment. be able to tell Come this through, through, uh, through our conversation, but I just have this fascination with understanding people's point of view, right? And yeah. so microexpressions, some of these, the reasons I, I really get into this is I'm like, okay, you know, what, what, what is really happening here, right? You know, and uh, whether it be my spouse, friend, boss, whatever, right? And so and I, I would like to have the superpower where you understand, right, you know, what people are actually vibing in their, their interactions, not with me necessarily, but, you know, hey, how, how do they see the world, right? Mm -hmm. Just to kind of get this glimpse. So I don't know if it's like empathy, you know, superpower or something like that. Just to understand, because we have such, you know... If I'm not understanding range. my spouse, 
I find out really quickly. <laughs> I, I don't, you, you don't need a I don't need a superpower because if I'm off base, I, I, I get you know. There's a self correction. Uh, a, you know, yeah, a, a dynamic quickly, here. Nice that, feedback loop, right? Yeah, yeah right. strong Gee, feedback. I really loop. thought I would have seen happiness just there, and I didn't. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, well, Todd, thank you. Uh, this has been once again fascinating, and and oh, I'm getting oh, a oh, signal from. I don't. From, uh, one more thing. Okay. I, I think it's the one more thing. Or what, it was what? just the one more thing. Yeah. Okay. It's music. Oh. Ah. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. We oh, occurred like, how could I forget? We have to. I have been trying to forget for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, yes, what, are you, what, what are you listening to these days? What uh, or what would be a theme song to to to, to describe you? Um, yeah, so I, I think I'm going to go. Even though I cheated the last time we talked, I'm going to go with just just the just the one this time. And That's and good. and there's a um, acapella group, um, Pentatonix, right? That I think. These guys are amazing, right? And the fact that not only they have original music, but they can take old music and make it seem so unbelievably different is... And the fact there's five of them, they sound like a whole chorus. It's just fascinating. But there's a song called Sing, right? Which I love this song because it basically is the song that's saying, hey, I don't care where you are, how you feel, you know, sing it out, sing it proud, sing wherever you are. And and that's kind of my personality, right? You know, I mean, driving <laughs> driving down the road, and I'm one of those people who sing with the music that's on, and it's just jamming it away, and you know, and you catch the eye of the person next to you, and they kind of give you this look like, "Who are you?" And I'm like, "Yeah, we're singing, baby. Let's go. Roll the window down. Join me." So, uh, so I love that song, right? And uh, th- yeah. there's great energy there. So, yeah, that's great. Todd, thank you very much. Thank you guys. Thank really a song. pleasure. Always fun. Welcome to our grooving session where Tim and I groove on what we learned from our behavioral groups interview, have a free-flowing discussion on some of those topics, and whatever else comes into our crazy, weird heads. Yeah. So, all right, let, let Tim. Let it all come out. All right, Tim. So Todd <laughs> talked about micro-expressions. That was super cool. Paul Ekman stuff. Yeah. Uh, that whole, uh, that, well, all, all seven of them. Right. Right. Uh, Happiness, sadness, anger, disgust, contempt, fear, surprise. Just uh, it's so great to to think about how these tiny little, literally micro expressions inform us, inform how we feel, inform how we behave, and uh, and of course they are stunning examples of our own behavior. Yes, in, and even in a transitionary form. And and you think about the fact that. They are not, they are these micro, so bursts under a second, and yet we we get an emotional response from them that colors the rest of our judgments. And they're universal. Yes. So it doesn't matter if you're talking to somebody from, you know, uh, Polynesia or Europe or, you know, somewhere yeah. in the middle of Africa. North Chicago, South Chicago, all the same. <laughs> I don't know. There might be a difference there. I'm just saying. But I think it, what was interesting and, and what people didn't necessarily see, but maybe we can, we do have some video from, from that, is just um, the demonstration of it. I mean, you can, you can tell if you start to really look for these things. And the difference between contempt and fear, uh, yeah, very similar in in how they manifest themselves, but just a difference in some of in, in the eyebrows, right? And that quick, 
component. And so if you misinterpret those too, that can be a whole big element that yeah. might lead to some really interesting conversations with somebody. <laughs> yeah, a misread could absolutely throw the conversation off. Yeah. yeah that, that, that wouldn't be good. It, it reminds me of uh, Dan Hill's work. I think about Dan uh, and his work on facial expressions and facial yes. coding. And I just think it's so good. Uh, Emotions Wizard is his website. I just want to pitch that because uh, it's so insightful to to think about how much coding is done around faces and how our, our faces, to a very large degree, don't lie. Right. Our faces just tell the story. Well, we try to make our faces lie. But the, the piece about the micro expressions that I thought was really fascinating is that it doesn't we read through that a lot. I mean, you you show the picture, you show two pictures, right, of, of somebody with a genuine smile versus somebody with that fake smile that they go. You can tell. You yeah. can see that difference. And understanding, I think, some of the, the work behind this and what's going on can be very helpful for people, particularly as you're thinking through you know, how you respond in certain situations. How do you, we typically, we typically respond to a smile in a certain way, but if it's a fake smile, we don't have the same gut reaction to it because right. we realize at some subconscious level that that isn't as genuine as we would like it to be. And the micro expression is. Yes. And the micro expression that the crow's feet is, as Todd said, and in your eyes and that smile and various we, different pieces. We so know that. We know it. So what did you think about uh, the placebo effect? <laughs> <laughs> I love the placebo effect, even if you thought it was going to be boring. I was afraid it was going to be too geeky. <laughs> I did. I did. Uh, so the and I'm glad you went there, by well, the way. Thank, thank you. Thank you. No, I, and and there's, there's a lot of research out there on, on how we interpret things and, and the fact of, of how just the idea that we're being cured is actually a component in our cure. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the way that it works and what, what I loved about the conversation with Todd is, is that we got into the part where when we think about placebo or oftentimes people think about placebo, right? It's, you take the drug that is basically a sugar pill that should have absolutely no impact on your, on your health, but it actually does your brain because of how your brain responds to it. And there's a real consequence to that. So that implies that your brain can cure you. It, yes. It, right? It, uh, I mean, isn't that the implication? When people say that sickness is all in your head, uh, there's, there's... There's some truth to there that. There is some truth to it. Now, I wouldn't... You, you can't take that broad base, right? And if we're you not cut saying, your, yeah, if, you if cut somebody yourself has cancer, <laughs> take the, the, you know, <laughs> right. do what you need to do. But I think there is some aspect of it. And I go back to... My high school, right? Yeah. I had I, my accounting teacher. Um, oh, and I, I'm going to mess his name up. I'm not good with names, yeah, unlike even, you. Don't anyway, even remember. Accounting even teacher uh, was just this, this bigger-than-life, outlandish gentleman, older. But he talked about how he was never sick a day in his life. Because he said when he felt having a cold come on, he told himself, I am not sick, and he drank a glass of orange juice. 
And he just continually, you know, it was mind over matter. And so he said, I have not taken a sick day the entire time that I have been, you know, working. Wow. Because he said, I just, I tell myself I'm not sick and so I don't get sick. Wow. And I think there's, so at that young age of, of hearing that, there was part of me that was like, yeah, I, I get sick, you know, that's not true. <laughs> but I think something stuck with me, and, and I remember that. And uh, anybody from Pleasant Valley High School, if you remember the accounting teacher's names, please put it in one of the notes here of, of the podcast. I feel bad for not remembering that. But... Uh, you know, and, and part of what I loved about the placebo effect is also some of the other research about how we interpret, in, you know, in those in the in the fMRI studies of drinking wine, the the taste test, different pieces of it, and and the reality is is that we make these judgments. Oh, it's the same wine; it tastes the same. No, it doesn't. And how you perceive it actually impacts the taste of things. Yes. and that that in the environment or the situation that you're in changes the exact same uh, experience that you had um, with something else, depending upon the situation or depending upon how you're thinking about it. And those are actual physical manifestations. So they're not they are. they're not just these things out there. They actually do change how we feel, think, and taste. Uh, the willingness to give up your phone number to a stranger in front of a floral shop versus in <laughs> front of a grocery store. Exactly. Different things. Uh, if, if people are interested in more on, on placebo effect, uh, Dan Ariely's work with Baba Shiv is yes. particularly, particularly good. Yes. Uh, just really strongly recommend Fantastic that. work on that. Yeah. So what other, what other things were interesting for you? Uh, the, uh, let's see. There, there, there were a couple of things. The first one was that, uh, Todd's job at Medtronic about creating an executive presence for would-be leaders, I think is a really, it's a, uh, it's a very virtuous job, right? I mean, I really like that. And, and I had to fight back my own belief that, well, there's going to be, eventually you're going to start narrowing in on, on, okay, here's 30 characteristics. And then, well, actually there's really 20 that are really core. And then, no, 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 there's only five. And, and that it's going to become uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're only picking people that go into that program with those, with those particular capabilities or traits. Right. And Todd, did a good job of sort of pushing back and saying, no, actually, we have to look at every individual as an individual. Uh, but still, executive presence is something that is not so easy to define, but easily recognizable. Right. Right? I loved his comment when he asked people that in that in the example that he gave, you know, the person didn't have executive presence. Well, what does executive presence look like? And they said, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they couldn't Which describe okay. it to him, right? And yeah. uh, but it is. There is the, a component of this. It's a, it's a presence. It's a it's a way of holding yourself. It's a way of dressing, communicating, talking, variety of different things. And I think for every individual, that can express itself differently. Or at least I would hope mm-hmm. that you can express that self, express that differently. And it's hopefully drawing on your strengths and building to your strengths and taking uh, some of those weaknesses and hopefully diminishing those so that it's not, you're not trying to fit into a certain pattern like you were saying, but it's about enhancing your own 
personality and your own right. elements into this. And hopefully that's what we can get at as a society, as organizations about what an executive is. And it's, it's an important role. It's, it's an important role. The, the second thing that I wanted to mention was this certified body language ah. uh, through uh, Science of People. And uh, what, what did you think of that, Kerr? What, how, did that, how did that strike well, you? Well, that goes to the micro expressions, right? Yeah, that goes yeah. to how you hold yourself. And body language, I think, again, you know, our evolutionary path, right? It goes back to the face. If you look at any studies mm-hmm. of, of where people focus when they're talking with Anna, it's always on the face. But yet you have your body, your entire body language and, and how that manifests itself and how people respond to you. Um, I would like to know more. I would like to be able to hold myself into a position of power or of listening and various different pieces of that. Because there's a social element to this. There right? is be- a social element. I, I, I just on the on the way over today to the Behavioral Groove Studios, I was I was uh, listening to an interview with uh, with a woman who's written a book recently about about uh, social gatherings and about what draws us into gatherings. Okay. And she's taking an anthropolo- anthropological view to this and and it's a big question. Yes. Like of course we can we can say well, you know, a, a group of people is safer, you know, we can f- create more food, things like that. But why the specific groups that we formed in is is a big question, and and it makes me think about the 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 way we're attracted when we when we uh, those of us that go into the working world after college, for instance, mm-hmm. that what attracts us to one company or another. What mm-hmm. is it about the culture that is attractive or not attractive? We say, oh no no no, I don't, I, that that company would just suck for me. Right. But this organization, this would be great. I think this this would be perfect. How is it that we? identify with those things and why are those things so important to us and if you think about those groups and you think about how they form and again this goes back into some um, work that Franz DeWall did with primates right and the the hierarchy of of primates and how that works and some of that is is definitely body language it's it's yeah. do you face people down and like is the top guy facing you or not facing you and that's just your pecking order in in chimpanzees and in bonobos and various different pieces and like who's grooming who and various different pieces along that and i look at it you know i can't remember again me and names uh but there's some ted talks on on how body language impacts people and, and just in that communication style and so if you're in a group of three or four people where your feet are facing, right? And if you look at people's feet, they're they're looking at the dominant person. They're, they're facing more likely to the dominant person in the group than they are to the person. And if you're if everybody's feet are facing away from you, you're in not in necessarily that that power position. You're not a dominant person in you the group. You are not the dominant person in the group. Wow. Um, and so there's all of those little things. I would love to be able to to learn more. So maybe we'll get Todd back and and actually have him talk some yeah. on some of the body language things. The 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 piece. The one last thing that I want to talk about from Todd was uh, he said something where he said it's important to meet people where they are. And I think that is really true in in our interpersonal relationships and in our personal kind of conversations, interactions with people, is we need to be able to 
understand where the people that we're interacting are coming from and meet them in a place that is good for them. Um, and I think if we can do that, I think that just lends itself to having a much more rich, uh, much more authentic conversation, interaction, however that would be. So how about taking that into the digital world in mm -hmm. communication of meeting people where they are? Uh, certainly marketers are interested in meeting people uh, at the point when they're about to make a purchase decision. Yes. Right? Um, and yet there could be something more authentic, mm. uh, more intrinsically valuable uh, for employers to be meeting the employees where they are. Um, um, I, 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 I go back to our discussion with, with Chris Dobbins. So often I think about that employee value proposition changing yeah. You know, the idea of the employer trying to to serve up a valuable experience for an employee that might change every day. Yeah, that that is um, I, I think that that's that's just an amazing thought. I'm sure that there's another dark side to all that that I haven't <laughs> given consideration to. But there you go. So. Yeah. All right. I'm actually going to go here today. Go there. Go there, dude. Go there. <laughs> I, I can't believe this, but let's talk music, Tim. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so what are you listening to? What are some of the, the fun musical groups, bands, individuals that are uh, exciting you this week? So... Uh, one of the founding members of the Black Keys, Dan Auerbach, um, okay. is, uh, has gone off into, he's, he's still writing his own music, still a, an amazing uh, songwriter and performer himself, but he is, he's kind of launched a, a new career in producing okay. uh, new artists. And uh, Robert Finley is one of the new artists that he is promoting, that he, he produced Robert's record. And one of the things I love about, about, Dan and Robert is that Robert Finley is not uh, 22 years old, skinny and handsome, and uh, you know has a Adam Lambert voice. Uh, Robert Finley is a uh, a man in his early 60s, uh, and does not have anything about him that looks like he came from a privileged background. Okay, that there is a very a very simple approach that he has to his music, and uh, I think Dan's production of his of his record is very authentic and really well done so it's rootsy it's is, rootsy stuff is there something some personal components <laughs> there <laughs> is there some projection and saying hey uh, it's okay to be a songwriter over 24 years old that's what i'm saying <laughs> you can be a songwriter and a performer over 24 years yes and that you might is... get to work with a really cool producer at that some time that would be so great but right uh, but right now uh i'm i'm just recognizing that there are people in the industry that are doing that and and i'm just uh, so i just got to do a shout out to dan auerbach for right. for producing robert finley's record and and dan if you're listening to this podcast tim would be uh, open to a call so all right, so I'm actually going. Yeah, okay. I, I'm actually going forward. So this, I, I uh, you know, these are these things that keep me up at night. I think about these things in, in different days. And so I was, uh, I, I listen at night. I don't know if I've talked about this, but I listen at night to fall asleep, or when I wake up in the middle of the night and I, I listen to music. It 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 allows my mind not to ruminate over things. You tell so tell I, listeners how you do that. So I I have a. Uh, 
It's called sleep phones, which is basically a headband that has uh, you know speakers in them. So very that thin, I, very right. thin, um, but relatively good quality. I mean, I'm sure you would probably say they're not not that good but from a sleeping perspective they're not they're not big bulky things or things that go inside your ears so i can toss and turn like i often do and and my head isn't my ears aren't getting jammed or or hurt uh and so it, it works with via bluetooth and so i just hook up my pandora you know my phone and listen to pandora for an hour on there and and, and it often helps me go to sleep and so with that uh i, I listen to my my angus and julia stone yeah, channel good. my damien rice channel mm, my love that uh you know my iron wine channel but one of the the groups that keeps coming up um is the oh hellos um oh yeah and i i, I just love the, that sound and and there's a song that keeps coming up hello my old heart which is just this beautiful song and the lyrics are just fantastic talking about you know my old heart i've you know it's been so long since we've talked and and you know i i built up this wall around you but you know to keep you safe but now it's time to basically tear down that wall it's just this this haunting melodic beautiful song that's a um, that's a great description because as you were just teeing that up um when, when you shared that with me and i was listening to just that little snippet it's like oh it is haunting yes it's just it is magnificent it just transports the listener yes right into that space so beautifully yeah, yeah. so all right well with that uh, we end another great uh, Behavioral Groups podcast. If you enjoyed this, please uh, five-star it or 10-star it or whatever you 20 need star to do. 20-star it. 20-star <laughs> it. Uh, and share it with, as I say, two or three of your friends that you think might like this because uh, that just helps us uh, go a long way. And you can pick up uh, the subscription to just about any place that you normally get your podcast from. Yeah. So your iTunes uh, thing, Podbean, as we always talk about. So uh, thank you for listening. Hope these are enjoyable. Provide any, if, if there's something you want to hear or some feedback for us, let us know. We uh, want to have a conversation. This is about uh, getting behavioral science insights and applications out into the world. And so uh, with that, adios. Adios.